With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. He takes the snap, goes play action with Gable. He's got some time. He's going to the end zone. There it is. Touchdown, Eskimos. Adarius Bowman takes the first pie out of the oven, and the Eskimos have struck first in the West semifinal. Riley takes the snap, bats the ball once, goes deep. He's got Bowman absolutely wide open, and he just waltzes into the end zone. Touchdown, Eskimos. Adarius Bowman's got a pair. Adarius Bowman no longer with the Edmonton Eskimos. Released yesterday, Odell Willis traded on Friday. We'll discuss those moves with Blake Dermott in a minute here, but a quick update of the NHL scoreboard. Ducks and Sabres tied 2-2 early in the third. Also in the third, Penguins up 4-2 on Vegas. Flyers and Hurricanes tied 1-1. Washington leads Columbus 2-1. In the second period, Ottawa is up 4-2 on the Devils. The Bruins with a 2-1 edge on the Red Wings. Florida is up 2-1 on Vancouver. After the first, Minnesota 3, St. Louis 1. Jets 3, Coyotes 2. In the first period, Chicago leads Calgary 1-0. Sharks and Avalanche face off any minute now. Raptors lead the Celtics 78-53 late in the third quarter. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. You know, we were talking a lot about Connor McDavid's big game in the first hour of the show, and I, and I know our next guest is going to appreciate it as well. And, you know, a lot of comparisons, well, has anybody ever been as fast as McDavid, this, this, and this? I, I, will, I will say this as we bring in, bring in Blake Dermott. I, I think Connor McDavid is as fast as an offensive lineman going for the buffet. <laughs> well, you know what? <clears throat> I'd go. I'd go for a, a race uh, with him uh, if that was the situation. We'll see how, how fast. It is. <laughs> how much? How much did you enjoy that? I mean, Blake, you're, you were you were a hockey. I mean, everybody knows you played for the Eskimos, but you were a pretty good hockey player too, and you're a big supporter of Edmonton teams and athletes, regardless of the of the sport. But uh, you must have been loving watching that last night. Oh, it was uh, it was absolutely uh, you know uh, it was as exciting. You know, a, a night watching a game, uh, playoffs last year, there's some really great games, but watching him just dominate the game, and it reminded me, I, I was, you know, listening to people talk all day, the, the, the Gagne game where he had the uh, eight points in that game, uh, it was like that, you know, it was just something that, yeah, it, we haven't seen it for a long time, some people have never seen an eight-point game like, like Gagne did uh, back in, I think it was 2012, and uh, it's been a while since anybody's had uh, uh, four goals in a game. Uh, so it was it was exciting to see that last night, and it just it just made everybody happy. The only Oilers since 1990 to have four goals in a game. Uh, you mentioned Gagne and Alex Selivanov. 
back in the uh, 99-2000 season. So there, there's a blast for the past for you. Blake, uh, good to have you on the show. Played the Adarius Bowman touchdowns. And, uh, man, the Eskimos making news. Odell Willis traded. Actually was traded twice, first to Ottawa by Edmonton, and then he wound up in BC. And Darius Bowman has has been released, and I I know it's tough for a lot of fans. Those guys were fan favorites. Brock Sunderland was was pretty candid, and he you know he did interviews after both instances, and said that age and money play played a large part of both. Well, that's the, that's the nature of professional sports, and. When I when I look back in my career, you know that I, I can count probably really on on one hand the uh, the guys that and these are great players that uh, careers were were ended uh, on their own terms um, and uh, you know uh, uh, there's there's just there's just not very many guys ninety ninety five ninety six percent of the the guys that play at professional sport get the jersey pulled out of their hand and uh and it's tough for people to uh that are fans and i'm a fan and i you know to see what he did two years ago to see what uh, darius bowman did and to see what odell willis did like the first half of the season we were talking about him being the defensive mvp of the team you know and 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 uh just the uh, locker room uh, guys and 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 this from a fan standpoint it's really tough to see those favorites leave um and it's even tougher in the locker room. But I tell you what, you get, you know, you move on, you get over it uh, in the locker room, and and there'll be other great players. And and it just, it's just difficult. And it's very for the for the hardcore fans and and people that are around the team, when you see guys of that caliber, guys of that that sort of ilk and class, uh, leave leave the uh, the organization. It's a very difficult thing. And uh, but it is the nature of uh, professional sports. They were both here a long time. They were both here when the team wasn't very good and then obviously helped them win the Grey Cup in 2015. So that that's another reason they're going to be fondly remembered here as, as Eskimos. And, and look, I, I understand the decisions. I, I do think they can both still play. I, I think for me, and I mean, look, Blake, maybe you're going to be like, why is he even bothering with this on February 6th? I, I think there might be a little bit more in Bowman's tank than than Willis's, but I guess we'll see, and obviously they're going to have something to prove going to new teams. You mentioned the locker room aspect and their personalities. They were both outgoing. They both loved to laugh. They did, I think for a while, it might still be one of the most viewed videos ever on the 630Jet website where they did kind of a little impromptu rap with uh, Morley Scott on one of the Eskimo shows in the offseason. There's a lot of there's a lot of people around a football team. You know, forty some dress. You factor in the practice roster, sixty guys. There's you know about a dozen coaches, all the trainers. So, you know, I wonder about that locker room effect. You've been there. Um, who? How many leaders do you need on a football team when guys move on? Is it hard for somebody else to fill the void? What do you see from that aspect of it? Well, when you look at the really good teams. There's not one or two persons that are leaders. There's like the, you, you, you could, you know, uh, I always use this line, and it's probably not politically correct, but you, you could swing a dead cat and hit about 20 leaders. Like there's, when you have a, a championship team, everybody's a leader. Uh, and I think the Eskimo locker room in the last few years didn't rely on one or two guys. That's why I say that everybody, everybody, you know, you, you, you think about, uh, the length of career for professional athletes being very, very short in, in professional football, it's somewhere around three years. Both of these guys played longer than that here in Edmonton. 
And and so we as fans and we as Edmontonians have an, an opportunity to see these guys for longer than we do most players. But the thing that you also miss is, is that they're really good citizens. You know, they 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 were really good citizens. I mean, uh, the uh, Darius Bowman won the uh, the Tom uh, Pate, yeah, yeah, that Tom Pate, and and uh, but he also was awarded the Eskimo Award for community service last year. I presented them that award at the Eskimo dinner. Uh, you know, the, these are good citizens, and when you lose those kinds of citizens from your from your city, that that's there's a hole that needs to be filled, and and there's an awful lot of other guys that will will step up and 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 fill that. But but that's what makes it difficult when it, it, you know players come and go. That's the way it is. But really good, solid players and, and, and teammates and citizens are, are tough to replace. Well, and a lot of guys in football, as you know, Blake, is spend time with their position set, right? You're around the other receivers or around the other D, D linemen a lot of the day. And I think for Bowman, too, what he'd been through in his career. I mean, there was a time where you, we didn't know if Darius Bowman was going to hang on in the CFL, right? Because of yeah. some other issues that he had. So I think sometimes younger players learn from that and respect that as well. Now, with the receivers... Um, there's a lot of experience there. The D-line with Willis leaving, maybe they're in a b- little bit of a different uh, situation, though John Chick might be back. Yeah, like when, when I look at who started for the defensive line, uh, the Eskimos, in the last, because they were in a rotation. You know, they had Hunt, and they had uh, Howard, and they had Willis, and uh, uh, Sewell, and, and um, um, oh, sorry, the other big uh, defensive tackle. Well, they had Bowers and uh, Boateng and Cummings, yeah. yeah. Lots so of guys, yeah. But, they, but they, it was the defensive ends. They had four defensive ends, and, and realistically, they could have not one of them coming back to camp because John Chick is a free agent, and uh, and they may not bring. He was the oldest of the bunch. I think he was 35 years old, and and Odell is 33, and Hunt was I think the same age, and and uh, so was Howard. They were all around that same age, 31, 32, 33, something like that. I think Sewell might have been the youngest guy of the you know the the guys that have been here a while, and. Uh, now they could all be gone, so that's going to be an interesting place to fill. Uh, you know, a lot of competition in training camp, and that's the leadership. You know, in that defense, especially when they were going through linebackers uh, uh, last year like crazy, and defensive backs. That defensive line seemed to be the one area solid in leadership, and uh, that sort of held them together through a lot of the injuries. But now they're all gone, and uh, that's. You know, you, 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 again, you have to have guys step up. People will step up. There, there's, there's Sewell and, and Cummings. And, and uh, if they do sign Chick, then there's still some veteran uh, presence there. But, but boy, that's, that's an area of, uh, that the, the Eskimos had to get better. But I didn't think they were going to do it all in one year. Blake Dermott joining us on Inside Sports, our Eskimos football analyst. Always great to have him on the show. Obviously, we talked to you after the NFL Conference Championship Games, the Super Bowl, a classic front-to-back offense, most yards ever in an NFL game, another exciting finish. I want to ask you something, though, Blake. Eagles fourth and one. The, the touchdown pass that Nick Foles winds up catching, and the Patriots ran a similar trick play where Brady couldn't quite catch the ball. And, and like I, I'm always bugging you about football stuff more off-air than on-air because i got all these wacky ideas. But, uh, you know, I, when I was younger, I always used to think, why don't they call more trick plays? Why don't they do more you know crazy stuff the defense would expect? As I've gotten older and as a fan, I've thought, no, wait a minute, just put let the guy do his job. Let him do his strength. It's not up to Tom Brady to catch a football. It's not up to Nick Foles to catch a football. And it was interesting. I, I guess one of my theory was justified by Brady not being able to catch it, but then the Eagles did something different and pulled it off. 
Yeah, trick plays are great when they work. They, uh, I heard a college coach call them alumni plays. You know? <laughs> <laughs> All the alumni love it when you run a trick play, right. but, but man, they hate you when you don't, when it's not successful. Um, the, the, the thing about a trick play is it, it is a, it's, a, it's a fantastic, uh, um, you know, it, it can really lift your sidelines or it can deflate your sidelines. Uh, gutsy to call them, uh, you know, fourth down, you know, or, you know, the, when, they, when the Eagles ran that play and uh, threw it to Foles, uh, it was just a gutsy, uh, gutsy time in the game to do it. Um, but one of, the, one of the problems with trick plays is that you have to practice them a lot, way more than a normal play, because now you have guys doing things that they don't normally do. They have guys who, although the guy who threw the ball was a, a quarterback in, in college or in high school or something, but it's been a while since he's just thrown a ball in the game in an NFL, you know, and even in a Super Bowl game. Right. So you, and then Brady, of course, with his uh, seven flat forty speed, couldn't get a catch up to the ball. If he catches the ball, he was so there was nobody within ten, fifteen yards of him. He probably he probably could have got about another five yards before he was tackled. And uh, it, it just you put a guy in a situation that he's not used to doing, and, and it was a, a really well designed play. They just couldn't make it happen. Uh, Foles, being a little bit better athlete, was a real big basketball player in high school, and and uh, but he was so wide open, the ball was thrown to him really nicely. Great calls. Both teams made great calls, but that's why teams don't do a lot of them because first of all, you got to have a lot of guts, you got to have a lot of uh, uh, you got to be aggressive as a, a coordinator. And you really have to have a lot of confidence that you can complete it, because otherwise it could be horrific. Kenny Stafford re-signed with the Eskimos last week, and, I, and I've had the pleasure of having him in studio a couple of times here during the offseason. And he said the offensive linemen are always like, Coach, let's design an end-eligible play. I want to catch one. And the receivers are always like, can you just let us catch the ball? Like, we, yeah. don't, we don't ask to block, so you guys don't need to ask to catch the pass, right? <laughs> Oh, alignment, because here's the thing about linemen. Most of us were something else at some point in our careers, uh, whether we were the fullback in Peewees or in Peewee or we were the quarterback in Adam or something. <laughs> we were all something else. Uh, most, a lot of offensive linemen, like look, David Beard playing uh, for, uh, for the Eskimos uh, uh, as a guard uh, this last season, played pretty well, uh, came from Bedfacey High School. In high school, he was a tight end. And he caught lots of passes. So the offensive linemen were all athletes at some point in their career. So there's, there's no reason why we can't still be that at the, when they get to the professional level. I love how you still call yourself we. Uh, <laughs> you're still part of the offensive lineman union. That's, that's incredible. Uh, Blake, this is always fun to have you on the show. I enjoy chatting with you so much. We're counting down to Eskimos training camp. It's not too far away. And, of course, enjoy the rest of the hockey season, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Reed. Thanks a lot. Blake Durbett, check it in. Inside Sports on 630 Chad. We're going to have an open line call here from our old buddy Matt from Section O. Huge Eskimo supporter. That's when we get back. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. There's the MOP. Bowman and Willis, though, no longer his teammates. Matt from Section O, no doubt, has something to say about that. Go ahead, Matt. Reed, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's nice to hear from you. Well, it was a pretty busy last couple of days in the Canadian Football League. Um, I think the league needs more of this in the offseason because it sure generated a lot of buzz. But for Eskimo fans, it kind of went the wrong way. Uh, you know, two fan favorites. But here's what everybody is kind of missing here, okay? Odell Willis, as much as we love him, as much as he's still got some left in the tank, he's on the wrong side of 30, okay? He's 33 years old, and he's collecting a big paycheck. So Sunderland was able to trade him. That's wonderful, because 
honestly, it was either this year or next year that he might get outright released which is what happened to Bowman. Now, let's look at his stats. Again, he's a crowd favorite. Everybody loves him. He's got good name recognition. But here's, here's a stat that led to this. Aside from the dropped balls, and Bowman, I love you, but 12 games, 534 yards. Unfortunately, you can't pay a guy the, the salary that he was collecting to basically go into the Fred Stamps role of 2014. It's, it's just not going to happen, and you have to develop younger and in the age of a $5.2 million salary cap in 2018, younger and cheaper receivers. But, I mean, we have, we have uh, Zilstra might come back, might come back. I doubt it, but hopefully if he does, but let's just put him on the back burner. You've got Stafford, Hazleton, Darrell Walker, who obviously was taking a pay raise to come back here. Hazleton, definitely a raise. Stafford, remember, he was on the practice roster, so he's definitely going to get paid 46-man game wage. And... Keep in mind, we also signed C.J. Gable. Definitely gave him a raise, too. I mean, all of these last moves is bring the Eskimos below the salary cap, and unfortunately, two big names had to go, and it's salary that we couldn't afford to chew up to pay them for, unfortunately, downside production as to what I would have saw in 2018. I mean, it, it's, it's just the nature of the league, and unfortunately, Eskimo fans need to have a dispassionate view of it because sometimes it kind of clouds their vision. Now, in terms of the defensive line, now I 45 seconds left, Matt. (laughs) On a timer because I can just go. eh? I got to do commercials. You got 45 seconds. Uh, John Chick is still under contract with the Eskimos. So right now, the way the line is sitting right now is Sewell, Botang, Chick, Daquan Bowers, Elusive Cummings is an F.A. So hopefully they can get a guy up in the draft because Boateng was a hell of a steal on, in, in the fifth round last year and get a good guy through free agency. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not one of the guys that are saying the sky is falling, but there is some work to do in the next couple of weeks, and it's still going to be a great season in 2018. But here's, here's the big thing. This is the last year of Mike Riley's contract, so I'll leave you with that one. That's going to generate some buzz next year. Well, agreed? Hopefully we keep him. Matt, thanks for calling. Matt from Section O calling in tonight. Always great to hear from him. We're coming up to the 7.30 news. Oilers at Kings tomorrow. They practice this morning, flew to Los Angeles. Game is at 7 on 6.30. The face-off show is at 7 on 6.30. Chad, the game is at 8.30 tomorrow night. Well, this is going to be pretty cool. A gentleman who literally wrote the book on being a fan of the Philadelphia Eagles and being around the team. His dad coached the Philadelphia Eagles at one point. Michael McCormick, when we get back. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. If Jenny Malkin has his 30th, the Penguins lead the Golden Knights 5-4 with about two and a half minutes left in Pittsburgh. Also late in the third, Ducks lead the Sabres 3-2. In overtime, Carolina and Philadelphia are tied 1-1. The Capitals have beaten the Blue Jackets 3-2. Backstrom gets the game winner at 19-17 of the third. After two periods, Senators up 5-2 on the Devils. Early in the third period, Bruins leading Detroit 2-1, Florida up 2-1 on Vancouver. In the second period, Wild 4, St. Louis 1, Jets leading the Coyotes 4-2. 
Chicago up one nothing on Calgary, and in the first period, no score between the Sharks and the Avalanche. Oilers at Los Angeles tomorrow. The Toronto Raptors cruising tonight, leading Boston 106-79 with three and a half minutes left. So the Raptors will move within a game of Boston for first in the Eastern Conference. Eagles by eight. Brady lines them up. He's back again. He steps up. He's hit. He stumbles. He is throwing it deep for the end zone, and it is batted around and incomplete. And the game is over. The game is over. The Philadelphia Eagles are Super Bowl champions. Eagles fans everywhere, this is for you. Let the celebration begin. That was the call on Sunday, WIP All Sports Radio in Philadelphia. Merrill Reese providing the play-by-play. Philadelphia still celebrating, I'm sure. And we have a very unique perspective on the Eagles championship. I'm pleased to welcome Michael McCormick to the show. Michael, my name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for checking in tonight. How are you doing? Reed, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. How are you this evening? I'm doing great. I I almost don't know where to begin with you because there are so many interesting angles uh, to your life, to your your career. But I think I'll start here. Is that you literally wrote the book on being an Eagles fan, uh, Born Fanatic, My Life (laughs) in the Grip of of the NFL. Where was the seed planted for this book, Michael? Maybe that's a good place to start. Well, uh, first, first of all, to give you an indication, you and your listeners have in, an indication of how how deep and somewhat sick my fanaticism <laughs> runs. I'm listening to that clip of Merrill Reese, and I'm nervous that I'm going to hear that Gronkowski caught the pass for the touchdown on the last play of the game. It's just the nature of my fanaticism, and I suspect I'm not alone. Um, my dad uh, was a pro football man all his life and hence all mine and it started with him being a a world champion cleveland brown team captain blocker for jim brown played with paul brown your older listeners might remember those names but that's what he did when i was born and then over the the next 40 plus years he worked in various capacities including most significantly as chronicled in the book head coach of the philadelphia eagles while i was in high school so it really, the, the seed of the book starts there. And I wouldn't say it necessarily starts in Philadelphia because he had quite a career uh, even when I was in grade school. But uh, sticking with the analogy, uh, the, the seed grew and hit the light of day, if you will, when we got to Philadelphia because that is when the circus really started. Okay, so and, and and for people, uh, Mike McCormick is your dad, your your namesake. Uh, he's in the Pro right. Football Hall of Fame. Coached the the Eagles, coached the Colts, coached the Seahawks. Was uh, GM of both the Seahawks and the Panthers. Well, he must have been the first GM ever of the Carolina Panthers, right? Or, or, you, you got it. Yeah. In fact, so after he after he left the Seahawks, uh, he hooked up with Jerry Richardson, the, the Panthers' uh, owner, for a little while longer. Anyway, helped establish the, the franchise. Was president and GM for their first two years before he retired permanently. Okay, so your your dad's coaching the Philadelphia Eagles from 1973 to 1975, and, and you mentioned. You're in high school. I mean, what was it like to go to high school, especially on a Monday morning, <laughs> and be the son of the Eagles head coach? 
it's it's easy to laugh about it now, uh, and I'd laugh about it even if the Eagles hadn't won. And yeah, my my heart's uh, still in Philadelphia for for reasons I'll explain. Uh, but one of the the first things that happened, Reed, when we got to Philly, and it was within weeks when we moved into Philly from Washington D.C. when he was with the Redskins, we got a visit from the FBI. And the FBI arrived to warn my parents and even warn me as a high school student about the influences we would probably face from organized crime. So uh, that was the start of it. And then many stories over the ensuing three years, uh, good, bad, and ugly. Wow. That's quite a welcome to Philadelphia. My goodness, I can't imagine yeah. that. Okay, uh, another another story I share. Uh, his last year, our third year with the team, uh, he ended up three and eleven. This is this is back in the days when the when the uh, season was fourteen games long. They ended up three and eleven, and the only surprise was that he didn't get fired mid season. And I was. Uh, low-level student council at the time, and, and my skin had gotten pretty thick by this point. But I had to participate with the student council and given a presentation to the 2,000 students uh, who went to the school. And when the student body president introduced me, every person in that auditorium booed loud, as loud as they possibly could. And I stepped up to the mic and said, thank you, Eagles fans. The principal wasn't too happy, though. And as it turns out, the the newspapers got wind of it somehow, and and it appeared in the, on the front page of the sports section two days later. Uh, that's another little anecdote. Oh, that's incredible. Michael McCormick joining us on uh, Inside Sports, telling some of the tales about his father, who used to coach the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Michael's book, uh, Born Fanatic, My Life in the Grip of the NFL. That that the, the subtitle there, My Life in the Grip of the NFL, I want to ask you about that, Michael, because being in the grip of something to me anyway, has a bit more of a negative or constraining connotation. Is, is, that, how, is that how you mean it? And you, you just kind of reference some of the challenges, or, or how should we take that subtitle? Well, you hit the nail on the head, Reed. Actually, it, it, was, uh, it was not all uh, cookies and milk, to say the least, and that continued even into my adulthood. Now, part of it... Uh, involved the, I'll say, naturally turbulent relationship that sometimes develops between a father and a son uh, throughout one's life. And, and my father and I were no different in that regard, but it was, it was fueled by, it was twisted by, at times, the influence of football, whether that involved my father bringing his job uh, home with him after losses, whether even later in life as he mellowed, uh, the losses hit me harder than it hit him. You mentioned what was it like going to school on Monday morning. There there were many days, many Mondays, there were many weeks when I feigned serious illness to get out of it, and I even think back uh, psychosomatically, I actually got sick as, as a result of it. Um, and then came a time after his death four years ago, and that's when the book really kind of took shape. I I journaled to sort of make sense of it all. There was a time after his death, soon after his death, I took an entire season off, didn't watch a game. And this was before protest gate. This was before the concussion issue really spiked. I was that twisted about it in the grip of the NFL. Um, 
that said, it taught me a lot walking away. And in fact, among other things, it, it showed me that I was about to throw the baby out with the bathwater, both in terms of my love for the game and my father's legacy. Michael McCormick joining us on Inside Sports. So you mentioned that you wanted to touch on, because obviously, you know, your, your dad moved around. We mentioned some of the other stops. I don't know if you're still living in Philadelphia, but why, of, of all the teams you could have stayed connected to, why was it the Eagles? Yeah, and, I, and I'm in Seattle now because uh, we came out here after several other stops uh, following Philly. So I also have a great love for the Seahawks. But the, the answer to your question is, really lies uh, in this. The, the longest standing and deepest relationships I've developed were with the fellas in Philly during those days who got me through thick and thin uh, when it was pretty dark for me as a teenager. And though I haven't seen, seen many of those folks in years, we had a blast through texts on Sunday. Uh, probably about ten of us. It was it was just great, and so they're the most loyal people I know to this day. So, what did you do? I played the radio clip. You said you were still nervous listening to it when they won, and what were the first few minutes after the end of the game like for you? Yeah, for me, I wrote in the book, and this is so true for me that that winning is like a passing grade handed over on tissue paper. Losing is like an F tattooed to your forehead. <laughs> I, I was relieved. I was relieved personally, but I was so happy for my buddies who were born and raised in Philly. Their parents were born and raised in Philly. Their children are, were born and are being raised in Philly. Uh, they've been waiting this, waiting for this even longer than I have. I was thrilled for them. I got to ask you too, and and during this this uh, season, I've talked to a couple of Philadelphia media guys. The Oilers played the Flyers early in the season, and I talked to Mike Sealski, great Philadelphia sports writer, uh, mm-hmm. about Philadelphia. And, and when the Eagles won the NFC Championship the day after that game, I had John Marks on the show, who's a WIP All Sports Radio host in Philly, yep. and they both said there's that chip-on-the-shoulder attitude. Uh, you know, we're in the shadow of Washington and New York, and and in football, I guess you can extend it to Dallas because they're in that, that same division. Is, you took is, the words out of my mouth. That's, yep. that, that, so I, I guess I just want to get your feel of that. That's just not, and, and those guys have lived in Philly all their life, that's just not a internal Philly thing. Like, even as you've moved away from Philly, you're still like, yep, that's that's how those people feel. That's true. Absolutely, and, and along that line, I, I hate the Cowboys. <laughs> just, just, just hate. I hate the Cowboys even more than the Patriots. In fact, the, the Cowboys are the only team. Uh, uh, yeah, the Cowboys are the only team I, I would root against if the Patriots were playing them. Or put it another way, uh, the only team uh, that would prompt me to root for the Patriots would be if they were playing the Cowboys. Okay, so where do Eagles fans go now that the is the chip going to be any smaller? And look, and I know the, the, the Phillies won fairly regularly. Uh, the Sixers obviously haven't been that great. I know all about that covering the Oilers. It's been a long time since uh, the Flyers won, but they've had some good teams. Does does the does the chip on the shoulder diminish? Does the does the angle of the passion change now that they've actually won it, Michael? 
Well, you, your first your first question, Reed, is where do they go from here? And I'll tell you where they go from here in the short run. They go to the parade on Thursday, where I understand Budweiser is going to be giving out free light beer in in recognition of the dilly dilly silly silly spot they played during the Super Bowl. Those who survive the parade on Thursday, they'll bask in it. They, they will bask in it for a while. This will get them through the rest of the basketball season and the the Phillies baseball season. Um, it may even get them through part of of next year's football season. But it's it's unless you're a New England Patriots fan, you know it's rare to get there. It's very hard to sustain. And it won't be long before that ship returns. I don't think. <laughs> well, I was going to say, what if they start two at six next season? How's everybody? Is the honeymoon going to yeah, be yeah, over? Count on it. It'll, it'll be over. <laughs> uh, Michael, I, I wish we could keep going. This was a fascinating talk. I should say, from a obviously, you know, Edmonton's an incredible uh, hockey market. When I talked to John Marks, the the radio host, a couple weeks ago, he said if the Eagles win the Super Bowl, he may not use the word Flyers on his radio show the rest of the hockey season because he just won't have to. <laughs> big, big difference from uh, from what I deal with here. Uh, again, give us uh, give us another. The book is is it coming out right away or did it just come out? It, well, it's on pre-order now, literally okay. just this morning at bornfanatic.com. Uh, you can find details. Hit the buy link if you're interested in pre-ordering. The actual launch is April 24th, two days before the NFL draft, where Jerry Jones and Roger Goodell will meet in Dallas for that extravaganza. All right. Michael, this was great having you on the show. All the best with the book. Again, uh, bornfanatic.com. If people want to check it out, it's Michael McCormick, A-C-K, at the end. We're going to have to do this again, Michael. Really enjoyed our chat. All the best. Anytime, Reed. Thanks so much for having me on. Michael McCormick, check it in. Man, that is good stuff. Uh, incredible perspective on the Eagles winning on Sunday, what it means to him, what it means to his fellow Eagles fans, and what tales from when his dad coached the team in the 70s. So they move there, and the FBI has to take the family aside and say, look, now that you're the coach of Philadelphia Eagles, people in organized crime are going to try to influence you. <laughs> Talk about a distraction, eh? Wow. 7.48 Inside Sports on Shed. We're coming right back. Yeah, that Philly parade on Thursday's going to be pretty insane. Well, Bradley Cooper, eh? Getting to sit right next to the Eagles owner? Rocket Raccoon? He's the voice of the little raccoon in Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Yeah. Bradley Cooper? Also known for a few other things, I think. What was he in The Hangover? Yeah. Uh, that's all I can remember. I've seen him in other stuff, but I can't remember. Big time. He was in actor. that one movie where he played a, a, a Phillies fan. Oh. Wasn't De Niro his dad? Okay. It was one of those ones with Jennifer Lawrence. Oh. She's hot. Uh, what was it called? I can't remember the name of it. I think it was Oscar-nominated. Now I feel silly. I can't remember. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 630, Chad. We have Silver the Linings Playbook. Silver Linings Playbook. Did you look that up or somebody no, knew it? that's all Carrie in the newsroom. Carrie McCarthy, are you in the newsroom right now? I'm right here can, listening to you. Can you give us Bradley Cooper's filmography? She's glaring at me through the window. Either she she can't or she doesn't know what a filmography is. 
What, I what she, a filmography? I, what? I think she knows what it is. You know, you can't hear me again because you took your headphones off. What did I tell you about that? I don't like wearing headphones. We're in radio. You got to wear headphones. It's like a hockey player saying like, oh, I don't like to wear a can. And then after the game going, I guess I should have worn a can. Don't tell me what to do, Reed Wilkins. All right. Fair enough. Oilers Kings tomorrow. What do we got here? Furnace Family Oilers Hockey is going to start at 7 with the face-off show. The play-by-play will be at 8.30. Edmonton's Furnace Replacement Experts call 7804-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. Here's what's going on in the NHL tonight. Oh, he was in American Sniper. Yes, absolutely. Uh, wasn't he, was he in Limitless, that one where you took the pill and your brain got all smart? I don't think I saw it, but wasn't he in that? Yes, he was. Thank you, Carrie. Are you looking it up now? <laughs> Sharks and Avalanche are scoreless after one. Flames in Chicago 1-1 in the second period. After two, Jets lead the Coyotes 4-2. And the Wild lead the Blues 5-1. In the third, Panthers up 2-1 on the Canucks. Bruins leading the Red Wings 3-1. Senators up 5-3 on the Devils. The Capitals beat the Blue Jackets 3-2. The Flyers get a game winner from Jordan Wheel at 4.56 of overtime to get by the Hurricanes 2-1. Penguins hold off the Golden Knights 5-4. And the Ducks beat the Sabres 4-3 in overtime. Henrique gets the game winner. Corey Perry also scored. Raquel got his 22nd. Oilers will be in Anaheim on Friday. And then they're also at San Jose on Saturday. California road trip for the Oilers. All right, and uh, the basketball basketball game tonight man the Raptors did great 111-91 over the Boston Celtics so they move a game behind the Celtics for first in the east you know that's uh, not going to pretend to be an NBA expert but I know a lot of people thought Cleveland and Boston would run away with the east but the Raptors uh, ahead of Cleveland and now just a game behind Boston so good stuff for them Josh McDaniels if you missed this earlier Staying with the Patriots, the Indianapolis Colts announced earlier in the day he's coming, he's going to be our head coach, but now he is staying uh, with the New England Patriots as offensive coordinator. Pierre Lebrun from The Athletic reporting that the Oilers and Patrick Maroon are talking about a contract extension. We'll see uh, where that goes. I don't think they're going to be able to pay him too much money with uh, McDavid's big deal kicking in next year, and I think Darnell Nurse is going to command a race here moving along as well. Thanks to Kellen Kennedy, our studio producer this evening. Dave Campbell's the producer of the show. You heard from Michael McCormick, Blake Dermott, Alex Faust. Comments from McDavid, McClellan, and Strom. You miss anything, go to the Inside Sports page on 630Ched.com. My name is Reed Wilkins. Adler is next. Have a great night. I don't know. 630Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630Ched.